Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Aroni. Today is the 24th day of the Hebrew month of Shvatvat, January 26, 2022 the Torah portion of Mishpatim. And in this Torah portion, we're giving a long list of laws that create a just society. This is actually what it is called, Mishpatim, a laws of justice. It is the first Torah portion after God gave us the Torah last week. And the first thing that God demands of us as we set up a Jewish society is to create a just society. And it's one of the laws that is given in this Torah portion is a, is a prohibition against hurting or taking advantage of a convert. We're not allowed to remind a convert that once he was not Jewish. We're not allowed to laugh at him or to slight him or her in any way, shape, or form. And we're certainly not allowed to take advantage of them in any way, shape, or form. The Torah understands that the converts who changed a community, who changed their identity, who might not have a support system, who are not rooted in the community the way the other members are, who don't always know the lay of the land. These people are more vulnerable to be taken advantage of, and people might be less inclined to give them the kind of respect that they need to give them respect to. So therefore, the Torah reminds us again and again and again, over 30 times, not to hurt the convert, to actually love the convert, and to give him and or her the kind of respect and support that they need. This prohibition is actually extremely relevant this week when the Israeli government is planning to propose a legislation to open the conversion system and relax the standards for conversion. It doesn't say it this way but it creates systems within the Israeli bureaucracy that the default result would be relaxing the standards of conversion. And I want to talk on this show why this would be catastrophic, why this is a real violation of the Torah law not to take advantage of converts, while this law will create conversions that are not worth the paper they're printed on ruining the comrades' confidence in their own standing. All of that after the break. Please stay tuned. See you there. Israel is located in one of those volatile areas in the world. Israel is an island of stability and a sea of war and unrest. In the midst of this turmoil, Israel stands out as a beacon of order and human progress. Each week we update you on what's happening in this, the Jewish state, a true light unto the nations. This is Jay Shapiro. Join me every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. dedicate the show to understanding this new conversion reform 
that the Israeli government is pushing and why especially this week it is so poignant because this entire reform will create conversions that are literally not worth the paper they're printed on. The chief rabbinate today controls conversions in Israel, setting a certain standard for conversions in Israel and abroad. But if this conversion reform is passed, then the chief rabbinate will have no control over the conversions, will not be able to set standards, and it would really be a free-for-all. So a few weeks ago, the Minister of Religious Affairs, Matan Kahana, presented an outline for this proposed conversion reform. And it proposed to overhaul the entire system of conversions, which is, like I said, currently administrated by the chief rabbinate. The reform would really remove the oversight of a conversions from the chief rabbinate and transfer it to a steering committee. And it would also decentralize the conversion system. Today, there are four conversion courts throughout the country, but now any city rabbi could establish a conversion court of his own and set standards in that conversion court and do pretty much as he pleases. You'll see that shortly. Now, the rationale for this reform is to facilitate a solution for about 400,000 Israeli citizens. Some of them are descendants of Jews, but others are not, and none of them are Jewish. And today, because there is no um, civil marriage in Israel, these people lack religious affiliation, and they cannot marry in Israel. So the logic goes that if we can set a low bar for conversion for these people, and they would come and convert, now they would be Jewish, and they would be part of the Israeli society, and they could marry inside the Israeli religious system. And Kahana thinks that this is a way to prevent intermarriage, because today Israeli Jews marry these people who live in Israel, who are full citizens, who are completely assimilated into the Israeli society, but they're not Jewish, and there's a problem of intermarriage, and if we make them Jewish, there won't be a problem of intermarriage. But of course, Judaism is not something that you can bestow on someone if they're not interested or just by, you know, sprinkling some holy water on them. The entire point of conversion to Judaism is that Judaism is a religious system, not just a national one. And if somebody does not accept on themselves the religious commitment of Judaism to practice mitzvot, to observe the commandments, then the entire process is worthless. But this is something that Kahana is doing, in my opinion, to wrestle the power away from the chief rabbinate. Today in Israel, about 1,500 people go through the conversion process. That's it. 1,500 people in 10 million strong Israel go through the conversion with the chief rabbinate every year. Kahana has said that he hopes to double that number through this reform. So instead of 1,500, there'll be 3,000. And then hopefully... According to him, the number would double every year. So next year, there'll be 3,000 and then 6,000, and let's say it gets to 10,000 people. So even if Kahana's hopes go exactly as planned, at most, in five years from now, he would be converting through these special courts 10,000 people a year. It would take 40 years to convert all the 400,000 non-Jews in Israel. It is a drop in the bucket and frankly, most of them are really not interested in converting. This reform presupposes that all of these 400,000 people are interested in converting. And that's very, very questionable, actually. So this reform will not solve the intermarriage problem. It will not magically turn 400,000 non-Jews into Jews. 
but what it will do, it will undermine the oversight and the power of the chief rabbinate to manage conversions and take that power and transfer it over to, you cannot guess it, to politicians. Politicians will decide on conversion standards in Israel. The prime minister, the Knesset members, and their appointees will decide the conversion standards in Israel, not rabbis. Does this make any sense to you? Because it makes no sense to me. So I would like to go through the details of this law so you just um, you can see how ludicrous it is. So like I said, the details make it very clear that the primary purpose of this law is to remove the oversight from the chief rabbinate and give it over into the hands of politicians. So the law stipulates that there will be um, a new steering committee and the steering committee will have five members. Two members will be appointed by the chief rabbi, two members will be appointed by the prime minister, and the head of the committee will be appointed by the prime minister with the blessing and approval of the chief rabbi, which really means that the prime minister and now the chief rabbi will have the power over this committee and will set the toe. So what will this committee do? This committee will set the conversion proceedings. It will basically set the standards, the procedures, the how-tos of how conversions are handled. But after that, the person to really implement the conversion proceedings and rules will be the prime minister with the approval of the Knesset Religious Services Committee. Now today, it's so interesting, today the Knesset's Religious Services Committee is headed by a woman by the name of Yulia Malinovsky. Yulia Malinovsky is a member of Lieberman's Israel Beitenu, Israel is our home party. This woman is not only not religiously observant, which is not a problem, she is religiously ignorant. A few weeks ago she told other members of the Knesset, we have 600 and something commandments in Judaism. I don't exactly remember how many. And, you know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe gave up on most of them but 10, and we can give up on more. Now, I don't know why she thinks that the Lubavitcher Rebbe gave up on commandments. He never did. But for her, commandments come and go. Torah comes and goes. Torah law comes and goes. It's really irrelevant. It's not important. It's not anything she cherishes or values. She doesn't understand that it is important to actually keep Torah and observe it and take it on to convert. There's no actual inherent value to any of the Torah commandments and they're superfluous. So she is fine with dispensing of some commandments. You know, you take on some more, you take on some less, it really doesn't matter. And this is the woman who under this law is supposed to have the oversight together with the prime minister over conversion proceedings, who becomes a Jew, not the chief rabbi. This woman, who is really not versed in Torah law and actually doesn't even know how many commandments there are in the Torah, which is just basic knowledge in Israel. Okay, secondly, this law stipulates that conversions will be done under Torah law, but it doesn't define what Torah law means. It also doesn't define who defines what Torah law means. Anybody can come and say, well, this is under the Torah. The Reform Movement says that the way it practices is based on the Torah. The conservative movement says that it practices based on the Torah. Everybody who practices Judaism in any shape or form is sure that their practice is under the Torah. 
So by not defining what Torah law actually means or who gets to decide what it means, this law opens the door for any and every kind of conversion. Now, what happens if there's a problem with a conversion under this new law? So the law says that the only court, the only body that can review a conversion after it is done is the actual court that carried it out. So in other words, if there's a problematic or corrupt court that creates conversions, then that court gets to check up on itself. And what if there is an, a problematic rabbi or a rabbi who abuses power or a rabbi who sets substandard standards? Well, the chief rabbi can ask a political appointee to review the actions of this rabbi or of this court. But then who gets to decide in the end? Yes, the political appointee gets to decide, not the chief rabbi. The chief rabbi can start the case, but if this political appointee decides that he is fine with this court, he's fine with this rabbi, then he will stop the proceedings right there and the chief rabbi will have no recourse. And finally, by setting a very, 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 very low threshold for who can serve as a judge under the rabbinical court, this law really makes a joke of it all. You know what it is needed to become a judge in a rabbinical court that handles conversions? Some of the probably most complex areas of Jewish law. You have to be 35 years of age, and you have to be an ordained rabbi. And if you have five years of educational experience, if you've been a teacher for five years, or if you have two letters of recommendation from a city rabbi or a rabbi on a high court, that's good enough. Basically, basically, any teacher in any school who has rabbinic ordination can become a rabbi and a judge on a conversion court. This is a ridiculously low bar to set for entrance into a conversion court because really this is some of the most complex and also responsible decisions. So as you see, the details of this law do not make for better quality conversions. They actually make for atrociously low standard of conversion. And what it will do is it will give converts a conversion that is really not worth the paper they're printed on. And there can be no great damage and no greater taking advantage of converts by selling them a bill of goods that's not worth anything. And frankly, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that Israel's Minister of Religious Affairs is willing to take advantage of converts, some of the most vulnerable members of our community, for political agenda of disenfranchising the chief rabbi. I think it's really despicable, and I really hope that this law does not pass. And after the break, we'll talk about the impact this law could have on conversions in the diaspora as well. So stay tuned. The Tamar Yona Show. Tamar? She's sassy. She's smart. She's funny. But she's also a real Jewish mother. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Tamar Yona. And yes, I can be all of those things. But at Israel News Talk Radio, I'm here to bring you the news stories and guests that you may not hear anywhere else. Join me live on air Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays for the most unique and bold talk radio in Israel. The Tamar Yona Show. Welcome back. So during the first part of the show, we talked about the details of this new conversion reform that the Israeli government wants to pass, or actually the Minister of Religious Affairs, Matan Kahana, wants to pass, and how this law will create conversions that are really not worth the paper they're written on, they're printed on, which will be a terrible violation of a prohibition of hurting and taking advantage of a convert. And now I'd like to talk about the implications that this law would have for the Jewish communities outside of Israel. It will be horrible in Israel, but it actually will be catastrophic for the diaspora. And why is that? So while Israel is home to about 420,000 individuals who are descendants of Jews, but are not Jews themselves, or related to descendants of Jews, because based on the law of return, a grandchild of a Jew can make Aliyah and come to Israel. And under the law of return, a grandchild of a Jew is considered to be Jewish enough to become um, a citizen of Israel. But also, anybody related to that grandchild, his wife, his children, the wives and husbands of the children, their kids, can all come to Israel and become citizens of Israel. So really, these 400,000 individuals are not all descendants of Jews and probably mostly not descendants of Jews. But in the diaspora there, listen to this, 9 million people falling under the status and eligible for the law of return. 9 million people who are descendants of Jews or relatives of descendants of Jews are eligible under the law of return to come to Israel and become Israeli citizens. And now this law would stipulate that anybody who is eligible under the law of return to become Israeli could access local conversion courts on par with Israeli citizens. So the idea that Matan Kahana says has is by lowering the standard of conversion for these people, it will be easier for them to become Jewish. But all major halachic authorities, all major decisors of Jewish law concur that the acceptance of mitzvah observance is a crucial prerequisite for any conversion. You want to become Jewish, you want to convert. The only way to do it is to genuinely want to become Jewishly, religiously observant. You need to want to observe Shabbat. You need to want to eat kosher. You need to want to have a Jewish education and to give Jewish education to your children. You need to want to observe Jewish holidays and do so fully. If you are not accepting upon yourself the observance of commandments of mitzvot, you cannot convert because once again, conversion is not a national process. It's a religious process. So what Kahana wants to do is to lower this bar for entry to the Jewish people, for people who have some kind of Jewish heritage or connection. 
and he thinks that this way he will solve the intermarriage problem. But really, he will be actually making the intermarriage problem much worse because he will create these quote-unquote fake converts who did not accept upon themselves Judaism and Jewish observance, and now they will be part of the Jewish people, and they will pass the sum of all as Jews and feel like Jews because they actually went through a conversion process. And they were told by the state of Israel that now you are Jewish. So this is taking advantage and misleading everybody, the converts and the community. And this will make the intermarriage issue so much worse. Because why do we have this issue now? Why are we facing this problem? Because when the law of return was passed in the 1950s, the government decided to include this grandchild clause. During the 1950s, Israel was on food rationing. There wasn't enough food here. It was a backwards country, and they never imagined that people from the first world would ever want to come and live in Israel. They had other problems to solve, and they took the Nazi uh, definition of Jew from the Nuremberg laws that anybody who had a Jewish grandfather was considered to be Jewish and just adopted it and put it into the law of return. And they were actually told by rabbinical leadership and by the Lubavitcher Rebbe not to do so because it would create problems. So with the law of unattended consequences, only 35 years later, 300,000 non-Jewish Russians came to Israel because Israel was a better off country than Russia and Israel was a better situation than Russia. And they came here mostly for economic reasons. Now, if we're creating this law now that enables 9 million non-Jews in the diaspora to convert through very, very liberal city courts in Israel, we will create a much worse problem because nobody knows what's going to happen 5 years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, 20 years down the road. If Corona has taught us anything, is that we know nothing. We don't know what the future brings. So you, we can all imagine a situation where, God forbid, something catastrophic happens in the United States or in Europe, and people want to leave. So we have these 9 million people who are eligible under the law of return to come to Israel. And they don't need to be Jewish to come to Israel. They're eligible today to come to Israel. But once they come to Israel, okay, they can now also convert and pass themselves off as Jews or really feel like they're Jews and marry other Jews. And that would be a horrible case of intermarriage. But even without that, today, courts throughout the world, rabbinical courts throughout the world, have standards of conversion. And if somebody comes to the court, then the court has a certain standard, a certain halak standard. So these people can say, these descendants of Jews can say, hey, if I'm good enough to convert in Israel, why am I not good enough to convert here in the diaspora? So by lowering the bar in Israel, the bar all over the world will be lowered. And this could create a real problem of intermarriage everywhere. So it's really ironic because the Jewish communities everywhere are investing huge resources to deepen Jewish identity and prevent intermarriage. And here, with one fell swoop, the Israeli government would legitimize conversions which are not accepted in the diaspora and really create tensions and endanger the unity of the Jewish people. There are 72 
5% intermarriage in the United States today among the young people. 7 out of 10 young Jews marry non-Jews. We have lost about 20 million Jews to intermarriage and assimilation in the past 70 years. Just think about that. That's three and a half times the number of Jews we lost in the Holocaust. So do we really need to take steps in Israel that will make intermarriage worse in the diaspora? Do we really need to signal to people who are really not Jewish that they have an easier way in into the Jewish community and create these subpar conversions? It will destabilize the system completely. It will lower the ability of all communities in the diaspora to trust conversion papers and create a wave assimilation. A conversion doesn't work this way. It's not for people to have an easier way into the Jewish community. Until now, intermarriage had consequences, and the consequences were that your children would not be Jewish. If you marry outside the faith, then your children will not be Jewish. But now, even these consequences are removed for people who do care, because many people really don't care, and they obviously go off and intermarry. But for people who do care, there are consequences that are preventing them from intermarrying because their children will not be Jewish. This law takes those consequences away. Any Jewish man can now go and marry anybody he wants, and the kids that he has will become Jewish in an easy process that really doesn't require that much off of them, and they can continue living any lifestyle because in Israel, there will be this low bar for conversion, which for sure, for sure will affect the bar for conversion all over the world. So this law will really prevent probably the last, the last obstacle that is stopping some people from intermarrying. Because even the Orthodox, so to speak, will be um, recognizing this conversion. The state of Israel will be recognizing this conversion. So they must be good enough. And the last obstacle towards intermarriage is being removed by this law. This is not the intent and purpose of this law, but this is an unexpected, unintended consequence of it. And I'm absolutely convinced that Minister Kahana has not given a second's thought to the implications of this law on the diaspora, on intermarriage, on the process of conversions, outside of Israel. It has not been on his radar. It has not been considered. He's so focused in his fight against the chief rabbinate and against the chief rabbi. He's so focused on decentralizing the system that he is uh, behaving like a bull in a china shop. And conversion is such a sensitive issue. It's a sensitive issue for Jews all over the world. Without paying attention to how it is done, without having a bird's eye view of the entire Jewish world, you cannot make these decisions. So we're really going to work very hard to make sure that this conversion reform does not go ahead. And after the break, I want to explain to you how this conversion reform will affect the standards of conversion in courts all over the Jewish world, how the Batidin, the conversion courts, all over the world will not be able to operate properly due to this um, reform. Another unintended consequence that could wreak havoc 
on the conversion process and on the Jewish community all around the world. Stay tuned. time where feelings have become fact, where rational thought and common sense has disappeared. One man stands above it all. I'm Howie Sobaker, your political hitman. Political Hitman airs every Tuesday at 11.59 p.m. North American time, 7 a.m. Israeli time, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Are you interested in transforming your life, drawing closer to the Creator, and uncovering the deeper meanings and hidden treasures in the Hebrew Bible? Then join me, Rav Yitzhak Michelson, and me, William Hall, on the Science of Kabbalah, where we are seeking to narrow the gap between what we understand of our physical and spiritual worlds. So make sure to tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Israel Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, here on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back. So as promised during this third and last part of today's show, I want to show you how this conversion reform will wreak havoc on the conversion process throughout the diaspora, not only in Israel, but throughout the diaspora, and how converts, genuine converts who want to come and convert in rabbinical courts will be misled and will really meet a chaotic system that will not be able to give them the kind of conversion that they want, that they can feel genuinely confident in, and the Jewish community can feel confidently in. Today, with a centralized system throughout most of the world, created by the chief rabbinate and by the American Jewish community, a convert converts in an Israeli court in through the chief rabbinate, or a convert who converts in a reputable, recognized court in the United States or in Europe, can feel confident in the paper that he gets or she gets. They are confident in the process that they went to. And when they come to a community as converts, they accept it openly and willingly because the community has confidence in the process, in the global process. And the chief rabbinate, together with the Rabbinical Council of America and other bodies throughout the world, can be credited with that. Because today the majority of mainstream Batedin, rabbinical courts, throughout the world agree that the chief rabbinate is the force that sets the tone and prevents havoc in matters of conversion throughout the world. From the perspective of diaspora rabbis, one of the most important roles that the chief rabbinate actually plays is that it recognizes conversions worldwide. A conversion that is not universally accepted unless it is recognized by the chief rabbinate. And this holds rabbinical courts to a certain uniform standard. The fact that the Israeli chief rabbinate accepts only certain courts and their conversions enforces this standard. 
This de facto oversight of the chief rabbinate prevents numerous individuals and groups from entering the field of conversion and issuing certificates that would not be recognized by rabbinical bodies and communities in other parts of the world. The conversion reform would put an end to this oversight and the chief rabbinate's centralizing influence. It's really not about power. It's not about the chief rabbinate's power. It's not about the chief rabbi's power. It's not a power grab. The chief rabbinate plays a role because by centralizing the system, all courts around the world can have a uniform standard that they maintain. And all courts are aware of the standards that other courts maintain. So there is a certain uniformity and, and centralization that makes sure that if you get converted in Panama, you can then go to Australia and an Australian court will not need to go back and check what a rabbi in Panama did. Or if you're converted in Los Angeles, you can confidently go to New York. And your New York rabbis and schools and community members will be confident that your L.A. rabbi knew what he was doing. But if the chief rabbinate's centralization influence is removed because the power of our standard setting is removed in Israel, it will certainly be removed throughout the world as well. If the chief rabbinate is no longer charged with setting standards in Israel, it will obviously have no power to do so in the diaspora. And in addition, if certain Israeli cities set up courts with lower standards, diaspora cities will follow suit, opening floodgates to subpar conversions, while at the same time creating chaos in the international conversion system. Finally, there is this idea. The law, like we said, sets a very low threshold for appointment of Dayanim, religious court rabbis. Under this new legislation, anybody who is 35 years old and has five years of teaching experience and rabbinical ordination can become a Dayan um, judge on this rabbinical court. This will embolden underqualified rabbis in the diaspora to set up conversion courts of their own. Because, hey, if I'm qualified to do conversions in Israel, well, what is stopping me from doing so everywhere else? But in Israel, there is a ministry of religious services. In Israel, there's a certain level of oversight, at least by a political appointee. But in the diaspora, there is no oversight. Anybody can do whatever they want. Anybody can open up a religious court and start printing conversions. And this opens the entire conversion process to abuse, to fraud. People can be settling conversions for money and thus really hurting the converts. It's really taking the market, so to speak, off conversion and removing any regulation. And who will bear the grunt? The consumer. This Torah portion, like we said, has a very strict prohibition against taking advantage of the convert against hurting the convert. And this prohibition appears in the Torah dozens upon dozens of times because the Torah understands that people coming into the community, the people who do not have the advantage of having been born in the community, knowing the ropes and being connected, are really vulnerable to be taken advantage of. And by recognizing that the Torah tells us over and over and over again that we cannot dare hurt converts. We cannot dare take advantage of them. We have to respect them, love them, 
and help them and support them in this very difficult journey of leaving one identity and going for a different one. So they need to, first of all, at the very least, feel confident that they will be accepted in every community. But if a certain rabbi or a certain rabbinical court sets a low standard and starts printing conversions, that will hurt the standards of conversion for everybody and will hurt the confidence in everybody's conversions. And now converts will come to a new city, a new town, a new community, a new school, a new country, and the rabbis will be like, oh, well, let us see your conversion papers. Oh, who converted you? Well, let's see how they did it. You know how dissettling that is? Do you know how unsettling that is? Do you know how destabilizing that is for a person who might have been Jewish for 20 years, 30 years, to now have this background check? Oh, so what happened until now? Until now, I wasn't Jewish. Yes, Jewish, not Jewish. This is so unsettling. Nobody wants to go through this. And this is really painful and traumatic for converts. We don't want to create this kind of havoc. We don't want to create this kind of problem for converts who have really converted because they're genuine. They deserve to have confidence in their process. And the community, the community deserves to have confidence in people joining them. So this is a real problem that, like I said in the previous segment, I think the Minister Kahana did not give a second thought to this issue. But this is also true for Israeli converts, by the way. People converting in Israel who will now go to the diaspora, their conversions will not be recognized either. Somebody can convert in a court in Israel, and they will go to Johannesburg, London, or New York, or Australia, and the rabbis there will be, ah, you converted under this, new subpar system will not see your papers. Why do people deserve to have that happen to them? Why do our communities deserve for this to happen to us? And then there's another story, which I think nobody really knows about. It's a little bit of a kept secret, but um, there's a specific community for whom this law actually creates a huge catastrophic problem. In 1928, Rabbi Shaul Sadan person who wrote a book called Shud Zibar Shaul in Buenos Aires passed the edict that only people who converted in Israel could be accepted into the Argentinian Sephardi Jewish community. And this is because he had confidence in the high standards of conversion in Israel, in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel at the time. So today, the Sephardi community of Argentina actually doesn't convert anybody. There hasn't been a conversion there in 100 years. People need to go to Israel, convert in Israel, and then they can come back and join the Jewish community in Argentina. Now, this edict has been um, adopted by various Sephardic communities in Panama, in Mexico, and in the United States. And actually, some communities have taken it farther. For example, the Syrian community in Brooklyn will not accept converts at all for a variety of reasons. But... For people like the Argentinian Sephardic community or the Mexican Jewish community or the Panama Jewish community, the fact that the conversions in Israel from now on will be subpar creates a real problem because it closes the door for all converts from these countries. If until now a person in Argentina who wanted to become Jewish could travel to Jerusalem, go through the chief rabbinate's conversion process and come back home and join the Jewish community, Today, they will have nowhere to go because the local community cannot convert them due to this edict that they passed. 
and the Israeli community, well, they can convert in Israel, but their conversion, once again, will not be worth the paper it's stamped on, and they certainly cannot bring it back to Argentina and join the community. Nobody's thinking about that. Nobody is giving any understanding or any attention to the various problems that this conversion reform can create for Jews and converts all over the world. So, like I said, I really wanted to dedicate the show to this issue because we need to give it some thought. And we really need to speak up. If this is important to you, please go to the site of the Israeli Ministry of Religious Affairs and send an email to Minister Kahana and tell him you do not support this reform. Ask him to reconsider. Ask him to give consideration to the impact this will have on you and your community. In the end, it takes a community to protect every single member, including the most vulnerable ones. And this is why the Torah is so unspoken against hurting, against taking advantage of gaming. It is a level of sensitivity we need to have as a community. Certainly, the state of Israel has to have this level of consideration and sensitivity. Thank you for joining me, and I hope to see you again next week on News from the Torah. can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Norris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.